we continue on in Ephesians chapter 4. How do you feel about serving God? When you think of that, what does it make you feel? Do, Do you think, oh gosh, I haven't even thought about it, or I love it, I get refreshed when I do it, um, even though there's hard days overall, I, I love it, or, oh, I just feel like I am in a rut, I am guilted into it, I don't know when to say no, and, and I'm not even feeling like I should be doing what I'm doing um, right now. Does it bring you joy? Does it bring you just discouragement? What does it do to you? I believe that one of the greatest experiences any human will ever have on earth is serving Jesus, particularly in his local church. The problem is, it's not always fun, and and sometimes we're not serving exactly where we should be. Sometimes there's a season for places um, in in service, and other times it's um, much longer. And so tonight we're going to talk about that. But before we do, um, if you're new with us or uh, you're listening online for the first time, Ephesians is six chapters long, and the Apostle Paul wrote it. The first three chapters are separated from the last three chapters. The first three chapters are indicative, meaning this is what God has done for you you. We're finding our identity in Christ, and it's based on what Jesus has done on the cross, who he says we are, not who we uh, think we are or who uh, others say we are. So that's indicative. The imperative is chapters 4 through 6. This is where we see, okay, since Jesus did these things for us, and this is who he says we are, what's our proper response? How should we live? And last week, we kicked off chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 1 through 6. They're part of a, a bigger passage, 1 through 16, and it's talking about unity in the church and what it means to be one with Christ, with other people, serving and growing up in his body. And so we talked last week, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, that we are called. That's our identity in Christ. We're called to be in Christ. And now we're going to take the other half of that in verses 7 through 16. And the theme is, I am gifted. I'm gifted. You're given gifts. This is not just about being in Christ, but doing. So that's the in-house argument. That's the discussion that believers have uh, with each other and in their own minds. What is Christianity mostly about? Is Christianity mostly about uh, being in Christ and maybe more of the experience that goes with it or doing for Christ? So let's go on mission. Let's um, serve each other. Let's make disciples. What is it? Is it about being or doing, resting in Christ or working for Christ? Our position in him that can't change or the progress in ourselves that change all the time as we're becoming more like him. Which one is it? Which one is it? And the answer is it's both. It's both. It's about uh, being in Christ, resting in the finished work of Christ, knowing that our position in him cannot change. You can't screw this up. That's beautiful. That's the good news. That's the gospel. You're a child of God because he made you that way, not because you earned it. But it's also about doing for God and with God. It's also about working in the kingdom. It's about progress. You see, your soul is saved and made perfect immediately when your faith is in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, but your life will take time to reflect what has just happened to your soul. It's going to take the rest of your life. This is what we call sanctification. And so there is both a firm foundation of things that cannot change spiritually in your life because God says they are this way and they are set in stone and it's beautiful. You don't have to work or earn it, but then there's a whole other arena that is we're, we're being transformed. We're changing every day. We look more like Jesus. That's the goal. 
each and every day. So if you are a note taker, this is a note taking kind of night. I'm going to do a lot more teaching than preaching. I'm going to um, do a lot more just digging in and walking through things than uh, storytelling in this one. And so before we jump into the gifts, um, let's talk about this, this tension, this theme of being versus doing um, before we move on to some other good stuff. Here's four things, four truths that I think are important um, in your own mind as you have this in-house or (laughs) in in your own body, in your own mind discussion. Uh, Number one, don't idolize one over the other. I call this the the Martha Mary uh, tendency. We all have a tendency to either be Mary and say, I'm just going to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's all about my experience with Jesus. Or Martha. No, I'm just going gonna, gonna to clean, um, do the dishes, and I'm going to serve Jesus. Entire churches, entire denominations tend to lean one or the other. Don't exalt one or the other. What I mean is, um, if, if you talk to some of our Pentecostal friends, they're probably, not always, but probably going to have more of an emphasis on the being, the experience in Christ, Right? If you want a good worship night, go hang out with the Pentecostals. That's where, that's where you're going to get that. On the flip side, there's lots of other churches, denominations, uh, lots of Baptist denominations um, that are all about missions. And, hey, come in here, worship Jesus. Who cares if you have feelings? Just go make disciples. That's what we're all about. Some of us grew up in one of those. And some of us naturally have a tendency towards one of those. I'm, I'm more of a doer than a beer. Like I've got to remind myself I need to spend some time with Jesus. I need to hear from Jesus. I need to calm down and just have quality time with him and not just focus on doing. What's your tendency? But make sure, even if you have a tendency, that you don't idolize one over the other. Number two, know the why. Why does God want us to be in him and uh, do for him or with him? And here's the big idea. Um, You were created to be in Christ. This is our joy. This is our privilege. This is our honor to be able to spend time with the God of the universe. We have access to him because Jesus gives us access through his blood shed on the cross. We can enter into the holy places now. That's what Hebrews says. But when it comes to doing, know the why. Some people will grow up in the church, feel guilted into serving God, and they will do, 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 feeling like maybe this is how the church will approve of me. Because I don't want anyone to disapprove, right? Maybe God will finally love me if I do for him. That's religion. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. You cannot change this fact when it comes to doing for God. That God has already given you unmerited favor. We call this grace. Through the cross, regardless of how much you do or don't serve him. Jesus came to serve. He he gives us that privilege. Here's the thing, though. Just like when you're in a family and you have a mother or father, you can... Um, you can know that they will always have favor on you and still not be pleased with you. And so when we serve Jesus, the why is that we want to please him. We want to do what we were created to do. But we can't get favor any more than we do on our worst day. We can't get any more favor on our best day because that's already been set in stone by the gospel. Number three, don't segregate with or for. Some of us, we, we feel like when it comes to serving, we have this picture in our mind that God's here, and we're here, and he's Lord, and, and we're the servant, and he says, go do this, and he sends us away from himself. And so we're doing something for God when we make disciples. When we serve the church, we're doing this for God. And then others, they say, you know, I'm, I'm doing this with God, right? Because Jesus is building his church, and we're going along with him. And the truth is, it's both. It's both. And it's important um, that you don't 
feel like when you're serving God, you're doing something apart from God. Because you're not. Does that make sense? Um, And it's important that you understand when you're serving the body of Christ, you're doing it with Jesus, with his Holy Spirit. So it's important to know um, that you can be and do at the same time. They overlap. And last but not least, embrace the tension all throughout your life, depending on which, which one of these tendencies, the Martha or Mary tendency, or you're the, are you the doer or the beer, there will be a tension. And trust the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit in you to say, hey, you need to slow down and you need to spend some time with Jesus if you're a doer. Or, you know what, you love worship nights at the church, but you've never served Jesus in his church. You need to focus on that. Don't neglect one to exalt the other. There's going to be a tension for the rest of your life. It's a beautiful tension. Embrace it. It's the spirit. It's good. All right, let's talk about gifts. Do you like getting gifts? Anyone like gifts? Some of you like gifts. Some of you are just bah humbugs. You don't, you don't like gifts. I, I like gifts. I think all of us like getting gifts. Well, when you were a kid um, and it was Christmas time and you got a gift Um, how many of you remember how you didn't want your brothers and sisters to play with the gift? Like you only wanted it for yourself. And if mom and dad let you open it, and then afterwards says this in this tone, now that's for all of you, make sure that you share, your heart just sank. Right, because you're selfish like me, and we want things for ourselves. We want this to be our special gift. Well, here's the thing. In... Christianity, God is a giver. He's the best giver of all. Nobody can outgive God. God gave us his son. God gives us his Holy Spirit. God gives us salvation. God gives us so much. He's the best of all givers. He's the father of this family. And when he gives to one child, he's ultimately giving to all children. And so when you as a Christian look at receiving from God, you've got to understand maturity comes in being able to graciously receive God's gifts and gracefully give God's gifts. What he does to you, he wants to do through you. Think about things like um, just, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts tonight, um, things things like serving, but think about things like forgiveness. What does God say about forgiveness? He says, I'm going to forgive you, but you need to be forgiven everyone else. What does he say about love? I love you, you need to love everyone else. Mercy, I'm giving you my mercy. You need to, all these things are, you can have it for free. It's grace. But it belongs to your brothers and sisters too. And so, are you a giver or are you a taker? God's a really good giver. And you've got to be able to receive and to give and recognize there's incredible joy and beauty when the whole church has this mentality. I'm receiving from God. I'm giving to others. And tonight, we're going to see, as we walk through verses 7 through 16, um, six things that uh, Jesus does when he gives spiritual gifts. And we're going to park on the second or third point for quite a while, but we're going to rifle through the others. And verse, um, This is a good note-taking time for you if you're that kind of person. So let's jump in. Verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Who wants to explain that one? That sounds 
Son. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together. You see this this whole grow up in unity thing? It's just over and over and over. Held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, let's jump in. We're going to talk about how we are gifted. Going back to verse 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. First thing we see, Jesus is the best gift. He's the best gift. There's two important explanations of this verse. The first one is this, that every believer gets at least one gift. 1 Peter 4.10 says that you have been given a spiritual gift to build up the body of Christ. Everybody, if your faith is in Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you have at least one gift. You may have more than one gift, but you have at least one gift. And God is wanting to give his grace to the church. This is the beautiful thing about serving, is we don't just serve because we meet needs. We serve because this is the way God is communicating to his whole church, right? Um, This is where um, you realize that if you want to see the church in its fullness, in its beauty, It's not just when we stop gossiping or slandering or being little punks, right? It's not when we stop having business meetings because they don't get anywhere. It's when everybody is serving. And not just serving because they see a need, serving in their giftedness. You're going to find that when you serve, um, God, when he gives you a gift, he's giving you a little extra oomph in an area that blesses the church. That when people see it, they see Jesus in a new way. They say, I see that in you. You're an encourager. Lots of people are encouragers, but you're a real, real, really encouraging person. And they see God in that. And when everybody uses their gift so that each one of us can look at each other and say, wow, you're a preacher? You are, you are preaching the word faithfully. That is building us up. And you're, you're full of faith? We're all commanded to have some of these gifts, but some just have that extra oomph. You are building us up because of your willingness to face the impossible with trust in God. Like, when everyone's doing it, we should look at each other and be like, wow, this is is what church is supposed to be like. This is exciting. This has been my hope as a pastor since I got into ministry. If I can equip, if I can do my job as a pastor to equip the saints to do the work of ministry, they're going to look around and they're going to love it. They're going to love it. Many of us have not been a part of a church where most of the people were using their gifts. And a healthy church will have all kinds. New believers who are completely naive to it all and old believers who are resentment, resenting and bitter towards serving. Um, it's going to have people who are growing and maturing and coming over some of those roadblocks. But everyone is given a gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. So everyone was given a gift, at least one gift. That's what 1 Peter 4.10 says. Here's the thing. All gifts are equally equal in importance, not in portion. Lots of people have the gift of preaching. Not all preachers are equally talented. Some, um, 
And you got to be careful that we don't judge this from a human standard because that's just preference, right? Well, I like this person, I like that. Um, some people are encouragers. They have the gift of encouragement. And some people are really, really, really good at encouraging. The Holy Spirit's the same. The quality doesn't change. But God gives um, certain people whatever gifts he wants. Jesus gives the gifts, and he gives it as much as he wants. He uses us in different ways. It's good, 1 Corinthians says, to desire the gifts of God, the greater gifts as he talks about some of the gifts. It's good to desire the gifts, but it's not good to have favoritism because we like one person's gift over another. It's not good to demean or degrade some gifts um, because they're not on the stage. They're behind the scenes. All gifts are good. Here's also what this means. is It's to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ's gift. Christ is the gift. This is great because in life, you probably know by now, God may not have given you great health and wealth, but he gives you himself. This is good. This is different than all other religions. All other religions say, we have a God who's a taker. You give, 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 give to this God, pay your dues, do your religious work, um, but our God in Christianity is a giver. He says, I'm giving myself to you. I'm giving myself to you. And so, some of us got to be careful that when you embrace your spiritual gift, you've got to realize that your gifting is your activity, not your identity. Christ gives your identity. And he gives you activity, but sometimes they're different. So for me, I'm more than a preacher. I'm a child of God, long before I'm a preacher, long before I'm a pastor. And if you, sometimes it's easy because you will see the way that you can build up the church. You will enjoy your gifting, but you'll rest and and lean on it so much that your character can fall out the bottom. And you can start to believe that I am what I do and not what Christ has done. You are what Christ has done, not what you do. You are who he says you are, not your role in the church. These are your activities, not your identity. We have Jesus. He's the best gift. Verses 8 through 10. Therefore it says, and these are some tough verses, Um, But we'll walk through them. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Second thing we see is that Jesus is giving gifts. So where is Jesus right now? Some people ask, where's Jesus? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. That's what he's doing. What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing right now? He's doing lots of things. He's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. So that's why we pray in the name of Jesus, right? Um, He is gifting his church through the Holy Spirit. He's giving us gifts. We know that he is building and leading his church. He is the head. He is the great shepherd. He's leading his church. He's doing a lot right now from heaven. Now this quote here is difficult to understand. It actually comes from Psalm 68 where David is talking about um, God and his justice overcoming his enemies. 
And if I just looked at Psalm 68, you can check it out another time, um, you don't naturally see the gospel in that, unless you're like really, really, really looking. But this author um, knows a little bit more than we do. And he uses this quote in a different context. And so he says, um, when he ascended, and then he talks about ascending again, and then descending and descending, and he talks about captives being led up, and then the descension was to the lower region, so God has sent Jesus down, and then Jesus has gone back up. What, what does all of this mean? Here's the three general views um, that you would get from a scholar. Number one, that descension, that him coming down, is simply him coming to earth 2,000 years ago, right? So he came down to earth. He lived a perfect life. Um, he died on a cross. He went back up to heaven after he rose from the dead. So this is a very conservative view where we just say, well, he just came to earth. Um, number two, uh, the lower regions refers to his death in the grave. Now, technically, he wasn't buried underground. He was buried in a cave, essentially. Um, but that's what some would say is it's just referring to um, not only him coming down, his incarnation, he comes from heaven to earth, but that he died and he is buried. And the third way that some would interpret it, based on um, things like First uh, Peter, um, I believe it's chapter 3, uh, verse 19, um, verse 20 as well, that when Jesus died, that he went to uh, Hades, which was basically a holding cell, and took the Old Testament saints who had died um, faithful followers of God, not knowing Jesus, but died, and they were waiting to be in the presence of God, and he had the keys to Hades, and the captives would be those who he took from them. Now, First Peter 3.20 mentions, um, mentions the days of Noah, and so it gets a little complicated because you're talking about these people who died in the flood, these horrible people. And so some would say, no, Jesus went during his three days of death. He went down and he took all the saints who were waiting to go up to heaven until he came and did this, right? Um, and and then others would say, no, First Peter 3 verse 20 says that he preached to the spirits in prison. And it talks about the, those spirits being the ones in the days of Noah. So you're like, wait. So he was just like telling them about the gospel, even though they weren't going to heaven. They were just staying down there. That doesn't make sense. And so what is it? Here's my answer. I don't know. And, and, and so if someone comes and tells me, hey, you know that during Jesus' death, he went down um, to Hades. He took captives up. I would say, okay. <laughs> he might have. Okay. I, I honestly don't know. I don't feel comfortable with the biblical evidence to say, Yep, it's overwhelmingly in support of that. And so to be theologically conservative, we know he came from heaven. We know he died on the cross. So safe bet is answers one and two um, when it talks about descending. Now it says he gave gifts to men. And so ultimately, this is because he's Lord of all. He's in heaven right now. And he is building his church partially through the gifts that he gives to his people. So let's talk about these gifts. Where do these gifts come from? They come from Jesus. They come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives them and empowers you to use them. That's good. Number two, what are these gifts? Okay, four places in the New Testament that you'll see. I told you this is kind of, this is a note-taking kind of night. Four places if you want to look up gifts where it's talked about um, here. First uh, Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and First Peter 4. Now, that's not, um, 
you'll find a couple other places that might mention one or two here and there. But in general, those are the four places to look. So I'm going to rifle off a bunch of these gifts. Um, and, and I don't know that this includes all of them. Um, there might be others out there. But here's what I would say. All gifts, all gifts that God gives the church is to edify and build up his church. So if you're wondering, does that person have a gift? I don't know if it fits into the box that Pastor Ryan was talking about, these different gifts. Um, Does it build up the church? It's not self-serving. It's God-serving. Some people in the church, um, they want to um, use a talent that they have, but it's self-serving. It's not building up the church. So you've got to ask yourself when it comes to a gift, is this a gift? I don't know. Is it building up his church? Is it building up his church? So let's walk through just a few of these. This is where we're going to park for quite a while, and then we'll rifle through the last um, parts. So here's 19 quick ones that we'll walk through. Here's some gifts that you see in those four different passages. Number one, you see the gift of wisdom. Wisdom isn't just counsel. We don't need just counsel. We need wise counsel. The world has lots of counsel. We need godly counsel. So someone who has the gift of wisdom, someone who has the gift of wisdom has the right advice at the right time. It's not just knowledge. It's more than being smart. It's godly advice at the right time. It's good to have wise people, people that you can go to, um, not just those who know, um, you know, secular proverbs uh, because they're 80 years old and they just are that wise guy who kind of sits on the porch and, you know, sits in his rocking chair. Like, it's nice to have those kinds of folks, but you want people who know the Lord, love the Lord, know his word and are in tune with his spirit and they give godly advice at the right time, in the right place. Knowledge, or excuse me, wisdom. Number two, knowledge. If you've got the gift of knowledge, you probably love studying. You like to nerd out, geek out just a little bit because you love the Bible. You love learning about God and the things of God. And you love to be able to communicate that to others. You, you know the things of God. I, um, I know a lot of people with the gift of knowledge. Um, the gift of knowledge is, is really the ability to study the things of God and to retain them. It's good to be around people who know the Bible, who know the things of God. Number three, faith. Now, again, we're called, all of us, to have so many of these things, but some of us just have a little extra oomph in them that blesses the church. Faith. This is um, people who love to see God and to trust God in tough and impossible situations. So people who, who say, oh, no way, we can't do that. There ain't no way. Like, it just doesn't make any rational sense that, that we could do that. Um, and then we say, the people, the, those who have the gift of faith would say, no. Tell me what you need. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to trust that God is going to do it. So we, we say, you know what? We're growing numerically. Um, you can only cram so many worship services into a Sunday that people are actually going to want to go to. Um, if you start having them at 2 a.m., you'll thin the herd a lot. So at some point, you're going to have to start looking at another building. And you say, well, how in the world... If you look at our budget and you look at giving um, numbers, how in the world could we afford or can we even do that? How can we do that? I don't know. I hope that you, a lot of you have fat wallets and the gift of faith. <laughs> That's what I hope. That's what I hope. I hope that you have 
the gift of faith. I believe that we do have a lot of people with the gift of faith. This is why um, things like a building search, on one hand, make me queasy inside because I think, why would, ah, I don't want to spend our time doing that. Like, yeah, it just feels like it's off a little bit, although I see good. But it's a chance for the church to be the church. Some people who have the gift of giving can step up. Other people who have the gift of faith, it's a beautiful thing. And so, do you have the gift of faith? Number four, healing. This is someone who, who prays for hurting people, trusting that God can heal them. You can pray over them. You can pray for them. You, you pray trusting that God is going to heal. Some people, when they pray for hurting people, like people are healed. And you see a pattern in their life. And, and you know, when, when I married um, Tara, not saying that she has the gift of healing, but I remember her dad saying, if you want prayers answered, particularly in healing, you have Tara pray for you because he saw a pattern in her life. Some of us know those people who, when we pray, um, people tend to be healed. Number five, miracles. This is people who love to pray that God would do crazy things, things that only he can do. Miracles. There's a whole bunch of things out there that are miracles. Some of you know of miracles, things that have happened that just defy all odds. Number six, discernment. Discernment's interesting because it's not just being wise. It is um, the ability to distinguish between spirits and, and doctrine. It's, it's someone who can walk into a room and in tune with the Holy Spirit say, hmm, something's not right here. That teaching isn't correct. Um, the, the spirit in this room is not a good spirit. Um, or this is a good spirit. And a, dis, a discernment of spirits to be able to divide and say, is this good or is this evil? Some of you, um, you, you have that gifting of discernment. Number seven, an apostle. Now, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but apostle essentially is a sent one, and we're going to see this in, in a couple verses. Um, but most believe that apostles were people who walked with Jesus and were around, saw the resurrection, um, or were close to. Paul kind of adopted into that, and they were sent ones who helped start, not just pastor, but start many churches throughout. So they were church planners who were with Jesus. Now, even if we don't have an apostle in the truest sense, Right? If, you, if anyone hears someone call themselves an apostle, it's not in this book, just be a little weary. Um, but the heartbeat of an apostle is still out there. People who want to start churches, people who, who, who want to um, build up the church as a whole, maybe over several campuses. There's an, there's an apostolic spirit that goes with it. Number eight, teaching. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Do you have the ability to impart biblical truth? This could be one-on-one um, -on -one teaching. This could be in a small group. This could be from a large stage. But when you teach, do you see the light bulbs go off in other people? That spiritually they're like, I heard that before, but I didn't quite hear it that way. And we're trusting that God's Spirit's the one that's making that light bulb go off. But he uses people who are gifted in teaching. And both men and women are called to teach. In Titus, uh, Paul talks about the women teaching um, other women. But, yeah, we don't have to get into all of that stuff. Teaching is different than being a pastor. Just know that. Um, verse 9, or excuse me, number 9. Helps and service. I threw guide and 
Um, this is the kind of person who wants to come along other people. They, they, they want to come alongside and help them. They, they're a blessing to them. These people often are in the background. They're supportive people. They're not the one who has the great vision for the whole church, but they're willing to carry it out. Um, lots of people have this. In the evangelical world, this is kind of the catch-all for the person who doesn't know what my gifting is. It's like, oh, you're probably just a servant. <laughs> but it's more beautiful than that. Um, it's not just a servant's heart, but it's someone who's willing to come alongside and help um, others' vision. Number 10, administration. This is someone who stewards God's resources. So money, people, time, energy, buildings, facilities, someone who stewards uh, the resources. If you care about how people in the church are getting connected, if, if you care about what we're doing financially in mission, if you care and think about that stuff, if you're organized, if we walked into your office or at home and it was just um, like trash all over your desk and you didn't know where everything was, like you probably don't have the gift of administration. But if you're organized, if you like to plan, if you like to um, care about what is happening with God's people and um, the resources that God gives, you might have the gift of administration. Number 11, evangelism. This is people who share the gospel, but people get saved. Um, I know a guy in the church, he's early 50s, and uh, he had a heart attack not too long ago. So I, I knew that he loved to share the gospel, and he just shared the gospel all the time. But I thought, man, heart attack, early 50s, this isn't good. Went up to the hospital to visit him, assuming we're going to have lots of conversations about why a man in his early 50s in good health would have a heart attack. But he didn't even want to talk about that. He just was talking to me about how he got to share the gospel with his nurse, how he got to share his gospel with his, friend, his family who came, and, and we're so worried about him. And he was just sharing the gospel all the time. And people get saved. It just naturally flows. Some of us, I, I wish we were all given the gift of evangelism. We're all called to the Great Commission. Some of us, we, we just can preach the gospel. And people tend to get saved. Number 12, a shepherd, pastor. Here's what shepherds do. Shepherds care about sheep. They care about people. A lot of our pastoral care happens through grow groups, but there are people gifted in pastoral care. They care about people on a whole another level. And these are people who are able to lead them. Number 13, encouragement. People who are emotionally intuitive, and they're able to motivate people. Sometimes that's, uh, that's to, to nudge them a little bit. And other times, that's to uh, affirm them and to build them up. It depends. Say, you know, they need to be encouraged. But if, if you're the person who uh, sees someone hurting and you say, you know what? I know there's a lot going on in this room, but I'm going to make a beeline to the person who's hurting. I, I need to encourage them. Or you just um, have a word for people to build them up in the Lord, to help them move in that direction. You might be given the gift of encouragement. Here's what I love so much about this. There are needs in the church on like a Sunday morning, kids ministry, stuff like that. Thing, great ways to serve. The vast majority of these gifts don't fit necessarily into a perfect box that is Sunday morning. You just got to be around other believers. So being in a grow group, you say, well, being in a grow group, like sometimes we just talk a lot and we're just eating some snacks and we're getting to know each other. It's like, yes, that's where you can encourage each other. That's where you can pray for each other. That's where you can do these different things. It's beautiful. Number 14, giving. Now, how many of you got the gift of giving? Not many of you. Um, most of us, we, um, we don't like to give. 
as much as we know that we should. We, we have a hard time financially giving, but there are people out there that if, if you sent uh, an email, if, you spoke, if I spoke from the stage and said, here's some needs, um, they would not only meet those needs, they would say, thank you for letting us know about those needs so that we could meet them. Like, wow, there's people like that out there? There really are people that God has given the desire, regardless of how much they have in their bank account. This isn't how much money do you have or how much resources you have. It's just the heart that they want. They live with an open hand. They live with an open hand. And they say, if God gives me an opportunity, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to give. And they structure their financial world around giving to set things and to things that like just come as there's needs. There's a single mom who needs. There's this who needs. And they can just give, and they love to give. Is that yours? Number 15, leadership. Can you mobilize people? Um, this was the gift that I, I realized um, God gave me the day I was saved. Before I was saved... I did not show any signs of leadership in any way, shape, or form. The second that I placed my faith in Jesus and my life started to change, within that first year, I, I was leading a, a larger ministry um, that we started from scratch. We, I did things that were so unlike anything else I had ever done in my life. And I didn't know at the time, but I looked back after a few years and thought, maybe God gave me a gift. Um, can you mobilize people? When you walk into a room, do people look to you as an authority figure who can move them in the right direction to mobilize them for Christ? <laughs> when Andy and I walk into the same room, it's awkward because we both think we're in charge. <laughs> he thinks he's in charge. I think I'm in charge. Now we all get to submit, mostly me to him, but it's a beautiful thing. Do you have the gift of leadership? Number 16, mercy. Mercy. Do you come alongside hurting people and, and are able to offer them grace, offer them mercy, walk with them, see that they are in a hole and say, I'm going to help you get out of it. Let's, let's take steps. Sometimes people, when they see someone broken like that, they say, I don't even know how to help. I'm running the other way. <laughs> this is way too deep for me. But there's some people who say, no, I'm attracted to that. I want to help someone get back on their feet. Do you have the gift of mercy? Number 17, hospitality. Do you welcome strangers well? Maybe it's to the church here. Maybe it's in your own home. When Tara and I have purchased homes in uh, the past, as we've gone from place to place, um, we buy the home based on can this, does it meet our needs? Is it within our, our budget? Whatnot? But does it allow us to host people? Um, do we have a spare bedroom? Can we make a spare bedroom? Um, can we have people over for dinner? We, we arrange it as much as we can to... How conducive is it to hospitality? If you, um, maybe you want to be in a grow group and you feel like you can serve well in a grow group and you're not called to be the leader, but you can be the host. It's amazing to go to people's homes who um, are gifted in hospitality because you immediately, you feel welcome. You say, hey, can you just make sure as the host that you keep this place clean and we'll help you clean it up at the end of the night. And, you know, we can do like a little meal train for snacks and stuff. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you show up and there's like a four course meal and the thing looks like, a beautiful hotel and you're like what in the world you didn't have to do all that and like no 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 i love it and you're like you're not, that's a lie <laughs> that's a lie but then they actually do love it they actually do love it hospitality number 18 tongues this is really two gifts in one um, but there's private there's public i'm not going into a long long sermon keep in mind 
does it build up the church? I pastored with a guy in, um, you're not going to see it too much in Baptist circles, but I pastored with a guy in Utah who he, he spoke in tongues privately. This was his private prayer language, and he um, and I would ask him, okay, if this is a gift, meaning you speak in a, a different language, right? Um, some would say, Paul would say, the, the, the language of angels. Um, if you speak in this language, is it building up the church? And he would say, it builds me up, <laughs> um, and it's private. Now, if it's public, it's the ability to share the gospel in someone else's language, the ability to share the gospel. So in the early church, when they, the day of Pentecost, and, and they're trying to preach the gospel, and there's a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of different languages, what's the best way for them to understand the gospel when you don't have two years to take language courses? God gave them a gift to be able to preach the gospel and for them to understand it in these different languages. So one of the gifts is the ability to speak in tongues and to build up the church that way, to spread the gospel. The other would be to interpret uh, tongues. The Bible says if there's not an interpreter, better not be someone speaking where no one can interpret. Number 19, prophets. Um, this is the ability to boldly proclaim God's word. Prophets are partial um, it's really two things. Prophets in the Bible are uh, forth um, telling and foretelling. Forthtelling is that they boldly proclaim God's word. Foretelling is that they talk about future events. But if you look at prophets in the Bible, a lot more of it is foretelling than foretelling. We think of foretelling, but it's foretelling. And keep in mind, in the New Testament, those who had the gifts of prophecy, they didn't have a Bible that they opened up and said, all right, we're going to flip to any one of these books that we want. They had it memorized in many cases. They learned and they were able to boldly proclaim these things of God. Okay. So again, let me give you six quick ways. I told you we're going to park most of our night on this point. How in the world now do you find your gift? How do you find your gift? Well, I think there's lots of ways. Number one, assessments. Some people hate assessments. Some people love assessments. Simply put, assessments are a way um, for you to be asked questions and that you can see, maybe, like it isn't a guarantee um, that you're going to find your gift through this, but you can see where you rank in different categories and, and where your calling and your gifting might be. There's all kinds of assessments out there. I can give you short assessments, long assessments. They're all written form. Um, you can Google it, and um, you'll probably find a whole bunch, and some are better than others, um, but that's one way. Number two, you can talk to me. You can talk to others. Talk to me, and then I'm going to sit down and help you to um, discover your giftings. I might not know you very well, um, but others who do know you, um, ask them, you know, how, how, um, what do you see in me that you might see God's grace on my life, that, that I'm building up others around me? Number three, trial and error. Some people, they, they just don't know because they haven't served. And they need to serve a little bit. And the church has to be open to them serving for a little bit and jumping out of that area of service. Serving a little bit, jumping out of that, and find where they find that they are building up the church. Number four, ask yourself questions. Like, what, what service refreshes me? What service, what kind of service do, do I find joy in? Um, what, how do I best bless others? Like, you might think you want to do something, but you don't actually bless others in it. <laughs> and, and you bless others in ways that you maybe never realized. So ask yourself questions. Sometimes you'll find out. Uh, number, I'll throw this one out there too. 
you can ask yourself this, what annoys me? I know this sounds weird, but sometimes you come to a church and you say, I am annoyed at the way they did this or the way they did that. No one else is talking about it, but that's driving me crazy. You can let it grow into disgust. Or you can say, maybe the reason I'm annoyed is because God's given me the gift to change that and impact that. And the church is waiting for me to step up, not only point out the problem, but be able to fix it. Maybe you're annoyed because you got a gift to fix it. Don't sit in the annoyance. Actually do something. Number five, cultivate. So some of us, we got gifts, but they, they need to be, the spirit in us needs to be fanned into flame. You've got to train. You've got to prepare. Some of us need to go to seminary. Some of us just need to serve in that area. Some of us need to be around others who have the gifting that we have. So we see how they use it and we grow in that. Number six, we need to develop a servant's heart. There's two primary ways to serve, right? In the local church. This is how most of us are introduced to serving. Number one, you see a need, you feel a need. You ever, you ever seen that? Where you come in, you're like, just tell me where to serve. And the pastor's like, uh, okay, there's some need over here. And you do that. Some of us, we do that and we hate it because we're like, ah, that's not where I'm supposed to be. Um, like I served with teenage boys when I first gave my life to the Lord. That was not healthy for anyone because I looked at them and I said, stop being teenage boys, <laughs> start following Jesus. And it was, it turned out okay, but it was not something I need to be long-term. I'm not a youth pastor. Um, but there's a see a need, fill a need. Number two, there's use your gifts. Sometimes you see a need, fill a need, and that's how you discover your gifts. But either way, you've got to develop a servant's heart where you get outside of your area that you want to serve, and you start serving people, not just because you're gifted in it, but because you love God, and you develop a servant's heart. All right, let's rifle through the rest of these in just a few minutes. Verse 11 and 12a, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So we call that the five-fold ministry. If you ever hear anyone say five-fold ministry, they're talking about these five things here, the leaders, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Number three, Jesus gives us leaders. So Jesus is the best gift. Jesus gives gifts, and Jesus gives the church leaders. He leads his church as the great shepherd through leaders that he appoints. Now, when I say appoints, this doesn't mean that if there's a bad leader out there that they can just do whatever they want because they were somehow appointed by God. They need to be sanctified and changed and always submit to him and to other believers. But this is the fivefold ministry. Remember this about these leaders. I don't know how you feel about the leaders in your church. I hope you like them. <laughs> know this. Um, people have gifts, but people are gifts. God gives gifts to people to bless others, but he gives people to people to be valued by others. Um, you can approach the leadership in your church in a consumer mentality, meaning they're here for my care and the customer's always right. Or you can view them in a family mentality that they might be the authority here, um, but their mom, their dad, I love them. And ultimately, they're trying to raise me up to lead in some capacity someday. And you can use them or you can love them. Make sure that you don't just use your leaders. Make sure that you care about them. You care about their families. You pray for them. You love them. You understand the spiritual turmoil that happens behind the scenes when they say, I don't think I can do this. I don't want to do this. 
Um, I'm giving up things on the outside, my own dreams, my own plans to do this. And there's so many blessings as a leader that you get when you serve the local church. But there's also hardships. Don't just use your leaders. Love them. Value them. So do you embrace the fact that God gave us these 11 things, or these five things in verse 11 for verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry? Who's the saints? You. You are. So if you come into a church where 10% of the people, the leaders, are doing 90% of the work, something's broken. The leaders were given not to do all the ministry. So if you say, why don't we have this program? Why don't we have this ministry? Why don't we have... It's because the saints haven't done that. And maybe because the leaders haven't empowered them, but the leaders are to train the people so the people can do the ministry. A healthy church takes verse 12 incredibly serious. So if you're sitting on the sidelines um, and you're not fulfilling verse 12, you're going to have a hard time with verse 11 because it's their job to motivate you to this. And if you don't want to do this, you're probably going to butt heads with them up there. Do you embrace it? It's your role, your responsibility to do the ministry of the church. Verse 12b and 13. For building up the body of Christ. So this is why. So we're all growing here in maturity. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fourth thing we see Jesus doing is that Jesus is maturing us. Look at these words. He's building us up. So he gives gifts to build up his church. Every person who's not using their gift, the church is having to lean on others, having to to overcompensate by the few people who are using their gifts. Um, This is a joy, but it's a responsibility. He's maturing us. And some of us, um, we want to mature in the faith without things like this. But you have to understand, you can only mature so far. You're going to hit a, a dead end, a roadblock, if you don't care about using your gifts for the glory of God. Um, This is partly how he matures us all. So he matures us to unity, to knowledge, to mature manhood, to the fullness of Christ. Listen, there's a tension with maturity. What is maturity? Tell me that. How do you know when you're mature? The first few years of ministry, I remember I, was, I went nuts because I wanted the people in the church to be mature. Be mature. Be the, they were never my definition of mature. And another leader looked at me and said, dude, what's important is that they are maturing, not that they are mature. Who's ever going to be able to say they're mature? Here's what you got to understand. You will never be, until you see Jesus face to face, your life will never reflect 100% his perfection every day. You'll fall short. You'll make mistakes. But don't ever stop progressing. Don't ever stop taking transformation, sanctification seriously. And understand this, that even when we're all broken, it's not one of us. Oh, this is crucial. We only got a couple minutes left, but maybe this will stick with you. It's not one of us that shows the fullness of Christ. It's all of us together. 
you can have a bunch of broken pieces, but if they're all doing their job and they're all taking sanctification serious, even though not one of them in and of themselves can say, I'm looking like Jesus, all of us together are the body and we reflect the fullness of Christ. You can't do this without others. God has built that in and it's beautiful. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The fifth thing we see is that Jesus is protecting us. He's protecting us. So he gives gifts to build his people up, but also to protect his people. You ever watched um, one of those like Discovery Channel shows where you see herd animals? I, I, me and Silas watch this kind of stuff all the time, like YouTube clips of like a polar bear trying to eat a bunch of seals or something. And, and whenever you see a predator, wolf, polar bear, whatever, going after a herd of animals, and you think, oh, the little ones are going to get eaten. This is not going to go well for them. Like they have like no defense. How do they defend themselves, particularly the weak and the young? In most cases, you see them all take their position on the outside, put the little ones, put the broken ones on the inside, and just protect them. And the predator comes and tries to get in, but the big dogs are on the outside. The big dogs are all saying, you ain't getting in. If you can get in, we're going to trample you to pieces, but you ain't even getting in. And you see something so vulnerable protected by something that should rip it apart. I guess that's kind of like the church, (laughs) right? I mean, that sounds weird, but there are false teachers. There are people out there who do not want you to follow Jesus and they can sweep you up real quick unless everyone is using their gifts. So there's got to be a teacher, preacher who's preaching truth so that you know truth. There needs to be encouragers. So when you're beat down, the encouragers stepping up. There's, there needs to be people of faith who are saying, listen, let's keep taking steps of faith. I know you're stagnant, but the enemy is roaring. He's right. He's prowling around. There, there needs to be people who have the gift of administration because every week there's new believers who come in here, hear the gospel, and they say, yeah, this looks friendly. This looks great. And they see the encourager and they talk to the person of faith and it seems great but the devil has been beating them down outside of here. And so when they leave here, the church says, this is wonderful. But if the one person or the two or the five people who have the gift of administration aren't sitting back saying, but how can we help them get connected to a grow group? Because Sunday turned into Monday and they weren't around the church and Tuesday. And before you know it, you don't see that person anymore. Because if the administrator didn't do their job to help them get connected to other people, all of a sudden, six months down the road, you say, what happened to that one person who came and was pumped about the gospel and we never saw him again? They left the old devil sweeped them up and they find themselves beat down in whatever place they were before they ever came to begin with. Everybody does their job. When we do our roles, we protect people from the enemy. Think about that. This is, serving isn't just about what you get. It's about protecting people. This is bigger than us. And last but not least, verse 15 and 16. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love that last line. You can't stop the kingdom of God from expanding. The body grows so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus has a he, he's got a machine going here, and he is leading his church to grow. The last thing we see is that Jesus is expanding 
his kingdom. So internally and externally. Internally is the kingdom of God expanding in your hearts. This is what I'm talking about. This upside down kingdom where the first uh, is the last and the last is the first, where we love one another, um, speaking the truth in love, that we grow up in every way into Christ. So we want to become like Christ and each part working properly. Excuse me. So the body grows. So the kingdom needs to be expanding in your heart. And that's going to ultimately transform you, give you the desire to use your gifts and to serve. And when we are humming because we are working together, the outside world will look at the church. And what are the two things that God said the church will be recognized by, by the world? Our love for one another and our unity. And that's what this is saying. They will know you by your love and your unity when everyone's doing their part. Let me ask you, and I'll end with this. Is the kingdom of God growing in here? Are you finding that you're loving God's church as broken as the people around you might be and you might be? Are you loving them a little more each day? Do you want to serve them? Do you want to be with them? Do you want to hear God speak to us all together? The church can and should be a beautiful thing to be a part of. A beautiful family. What steps do you need to take? A whole bunch of information tonight. Some of you, you need to discover your gifts. Others, you need to just think about serving um, anywhere. Um, some of you, you need, to, you need to talk to someone. You need to talk to me. I would love to help you discover your gifts. Let's be the church. Let's pray.